If you speak English, Spanish, French, or Chinese, you probably haven't noticed how most of the information, articles, documentaries, and social media content aren't available in any other language. For the majority of the world's populations, this is a reality, and thanks to Sofia Chiani, I was aware of how difficult it is to find information about climate change in any other languages that aren't the most spoken around the world. Sofia, an Iranian-American who is 18 years old, figured this out while visiting her family in Iran, and noticed how little information there was in Farsi about climate change, even though in the Middle East, temperatures are rising more than twice the global average. During her last months as a senior in high school and during quarantine, she decided to do something about it. She created the Climate Cardinals Organization, which has now over 6,000 volunteers around the world ready to translate climate change information into more than 100 languages and dialects. Our speaker today is 20-year-old Rohan Aurora, who is the Director of Research and Development at Climate Cardinals, as well as the founder of the Community Checkup Delegate for United Nations Environment Program Negotiations and collaborator of the American Lung Association. Thanks to his activism, we can understand how the Sustainable Development Goal number 13, Climate Action, is also about taking urgent action to combat climate change and its impacts through education. My name is Jimena Garate from Mexico, and please join me in getting to know a climate activist who will probably inspire you as much as he has inspired me. Rohan, thank you so much for joining me today. Before we get to talk about your great actions against climate change and environmental justice, I would like for you to share with us what was your last experience with nature. Firstly, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to speak with you today. Jumping into your question, my most recent experience with nature was actually this morning. Uh, when I have some spare time, I like to go on walks for a few miles in the morning. And I live in a neighborhood with a lot of trees, so it's a nice start to the morning, and it really sets the tone for the rest of my day. That's amazing. Uh, it's 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 incredible how just a walk through a park or the city or anything with open air can change your day, right? Exactly. It really boosts your morale for the entire day, basically, and like gets you ready to do what you do in the daytime. Exactly. Or also in during an afternoon, uh, after a long day, walking can, can change everything. 100%. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Now I would like to talk about Climate Cardinals. Could you walk us through the process of creating Climate Cardinals from day one a few months ago all the way to today with a team of 14 and over 6,000 volunteers? Sure. Uh, just to provide some background for your listeners, uh, I'm one of the three executive team directors for Climate Cardinals, and I also serve as the Director of Research and Development. I oversee the language, research, education, and media relations divisions for the organization. 
Uh, Climate Cardinals has grown to become an internationally acclaimed climate nonprofit, working to translate climate information into over 105 languages. The goal is to improve accessibility to climate education and relevant resources for non-English speakers. I've been with the organization well before our official launch earlier this year. Uh, the process of creating Climate Cardinals honestly started out with recognizing that there was a huge issue that needed to be addressed. We see that people of color and other minority groups, especially those not living in typically wealthier known countries, suffer disproportionately from climate change and environmental issues. Yet the bulk of research and climate communication is still published in English. Over 90% of people in the world do not speak English as their first language, so we cannot make the climate movement truly a global initiative without including non-English speakers in our communication efforts. Personally, many of my family members don't speak English back home, and I often translate current events and important issues like climate change for them. So essentially, the executive team first realized that language inaccessibility is a huge issue in the climate movement. And I think, honestly, that was one of the hardest things to start with. It's always starting. That's the biggest challenge. Um, so once we realized that this issue existed, the next step was basically to do some research on what resources are already out there and where there are gaps. So for me personally, I realized that, like, I thought to myself, like, how is it possible that 90% of the world doesn't have English as their first language? And there's like, there has to be something, you know what I mean? But when I found out that there wasn't much, right, the, uh, Sophia, who's the founder of uh, the organization and the rest of the executive team, we were like, wait a minute, like, that that's not okay. You know what I mean? Uh, and basically we started doing a lot more research on what was already out there and where there were gaps. And this was one of the significant gaps that we found. Uh, once we had some traction, we be began to work towards partnering with larger organizations and supporting them with our mission as well. Uh, one of my firm beliefs personally is that working together is the way to go. And I think that's a lot of Climate Cardinal's motto, right? Where we realized that no single organization or no single person can, like, quote-unquote, save the world. It's a combination of small efforts from everyone that really drive change. So ever since then, we've collaborated with a lot of major organizations, such as Citizens Climate Lobby, Condé Nast, which is the parent company of Vogue, and many more to make as large of an impact as possible. That's amazing. Those facts are really harsh and create awareness on how big this issue is. I wasn't aware of uh, how not much information there is available in Spanish, which is my main language. And uh, until I read about you and I was like, yeah, everything I know from climate change is actually because I know English and I have access to that. But what about people that don't? And it's incredible what you've been doing. Um, it's been growing since what was uh, May that you started as uh, officially and how was it ending high school for Sofia and everyone in the team and, and, and launching this project and organization and then having such a big exposure and great response? Yeah, sure. So you're spot on. It was honestly, it was a little bit challenging if I'm going to be very straight up. Um, mo like, I think all the directors and all three executive team uh, directors are 
all students. We're all students uh, ranging from high school to university, and we're trying to do our best to lead a organization, and it comes with challenges. No one has ever done this before. It's new to all of us. So I think one of the biggest challenges was the fact that a lot of people don't take us seriously. We're youth. And that's a big issue amongst youth activists uh, specifically, especially given my experience as a youth uh, climate activist, where people don't really take you seriously unless you've reached a level of notoriety. And I think that's really unfair. Um, in addition to that, one another major thing or experience that we had was that we were learning as we go. And I think that's the reality for not only youth leaders, but also people that have been working years in their life. Um, for instance, um, when I'm talk go just going back on your original point about uh, noticing that in there's not much in Spanish, right? That's exactly my experience because my parents, they moved to this country, or I'm based out of the U.S., by the way, uh, they moved to the United States in hopes of a better future, right, for their children. However, they never learned about climate science. They never cared too much about climate change. That's a new word to them, right? And I think sometimes that I'm trying to educate my parents, but sometimes I even uh, am calling back home over my relatives back in India and uh, explaining to them about major issues that are happening. And I'm serving as kind of like this translator, right? And I think that's the experience that so many people have, especially youth today uh, and the Gen Z. I can absolutely relate with uh, trying to educate your parents uh, about climate change. It can be challenging, but also your friends. I, I don't know how you feel about uh, your classmates or people your own age. How do they react to this? Are they even aware of climate change? Do they care about it? How you, I mean, you're a huge activist and you've had a great impact already in a very few months. So how... How have you seen this empathy between people of your own age? I think one of the major points I would want to bring up in that discussion is the fact that I think we are really fortunate as youth that a lot of youth are understanding of climate change. That being said, I was actually speaking at this other panel recently, and I we were talking about how youth, although they do think that they are the most educated, the most uh, knowledgeable about certain topics such as climate change, a lot of studies have shown that that isn't the case. Uh, so I think that kind of goes on the point of what is activism? Is activism education? Is activism taking uh, or making a change? So th I think that's something that even you brought up, where not everyone has to be an activist. Because the way that I think of activism is, for me personally, I enjoy writing a lot. That's the way that I feel most comfortable expressing my thoughts, expressing the change that I want to see in the world. That might not be the case for someone else who wants to educate their family about something um, that's impacting their local community. I think the, act, the term activist should be broadly used upon anyone who's trying to make a change. In my personal experience, though, uh, going back to your question about my experiences with my friends and family, especially my friends, I think most of them are understanding about climate change uh, and environmental issues. But I think a lot of them 
kind of don't understand the full extent of it and why it's so important of an issue. Um, we've been growing up hearing about climate change, at least I have. It what it hasn't been something that's totally been new to us. That being said, a lot of people still aren't aware about what exactly goes into climate change and how intersectional the movement is. So a lot of things go into climate change, and I think I hope we can talk about that later on in the episode as well. But it's really important to understand climate change is not just a climate issue it's an issue of poverty it's an issue of health it's an it's an issue for justice so i think that's one of the things that i hope um going forward i'm able to kind of um show people about about how intersectional this movement really is and why it matters that's something super important about what's activism and what's an activist to me it's getting involved you know, act, acting like an actual citizen and getting involved in anything you think needs a change to do something better and leave this place better than we found it. One of the things that I was most curious about when I heard about Climate Cardinals is how hard it must have been to select the information about climate change that was going to be translated. Climate change is such a important and broad issue that it must have been really hard for you, I, I imagine. But could you talk to us a little bit about that selection process? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, climate change and environmental justice has unfortunately been very politicized by many media outlets and administrations, especially in the U.S., I'd like to add. Uh, that being said, although climate change has become a sort of hot topic in politics recently, We remain an apolitical organization as Climate Cardinals. When selecting sources, we do an analysis on any bias that they may have and any conflicting interests the publisher or the author may have with our mission statement. For that reason, we often only select um, credible debriefs from reputable agencies and other academic research sources. Um, it was a challenging process to start off with. Um, I already have kind of a research background, so I kind of knew what to look for. But still, like, as I mentioned earlier, we were kind of learning as we go when we started Climate Cardinals. However, like my team and I, we've gotten the hang of it now, and we've been translating a lot of great apolitical information. So in regards to how to volunteer, typically what we do right now, especially the way that we started, we posted something on our website, like an application form, a quick uh, application form, which languages are you comfortable with um, translating in, which ones you have fluency in, and uh, questions like that. And based on that, we kind of mobilize youth to translate various documents and stuff. Great. That's great. Because there's a huge responsibility in selecting information. You did a great job also selecting that document. For anyone who's listening and interested in joining Climate Cardinals as a volunteer, we invite you to go into their website and volunteer for this great, amazing cause. Uh, also, with uh, such a rapid growth in a very short period of time, how do you see Climate Cardinals developing over the next 10 years? Sure. Honestly, it's crazy how fortunate we've been in regards to our growth. Um, it shocks me to this day. Uh, we're extremely gracious for those who have supported us because we know that without our supporters, without other activists that have kind of 
came before us, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. So a big thank you to everyone that supported our organization. Uh, over the last 10 years, uh, or sorry, over the next 10 years, I hope that Climate Cardinals begins to delve into translating more extensive research and climate information. Currently, we typically translate shorter documents and debriefs simply due to capacity. And as someone that has a research and academic experience uh, prior to uh, being part of Climate Cardinals, I hope in the near future we're able to translate much longer review articles, commentaries, and studies that might even be 30 pages plus, 50 pages plus. Um, I hope Climate Cardinals is also able to grow to a level where it's able to further uplift the great work of many smaller organizations and environmental leaders, because I think one thing that I've noticed being in the environmental space is there's space for everyone here. And there's such great work being done by people that might be older than you, that might be younger than you, that might look different than you, that might look the exact same as you. It's very, very diverse. The environmental sector has a lot of work to do with uh, increasing diversity. That There's no lie about that. However, I just have noticed how welcoming I have felt in the environmental space um, and how refreshing it is to see so many BIPOC activists specifically in this space, uh, not only just from the U.S., but also from countries all over the world. That's great. I'm pretty sure you're going to get to that point before 10 years uh, pass, but uh, I wish you all the luck. And yeah, I think about... Um this collaboration between everyone is what makes this movement and this uh, fight stronger. So thank you for that answer. What challenges and opportunities have arisen for climate cardinals, especially consider considering the pandemic? So one of the biggest ones that comes to mind is that we didn't plan to officially launch during a pandemic. Uh, as you can imagine, that did have a lot of challenges. Uh, most of our executive team and directors are students. So we were not only trying to kind of lead an organization in a whole new environment, in a whole new space, but we also were doing school at the same time and all of our other activism efforts in a whole new modality. So for instance, most of, like, I'm a college student right now, so my entire school went online. Uh, I've been doing uh, e-classes basically since the last, since the start of the pandemic, basically. So... I've been learning while my professors have been learning as well about how to adapt to this new modality. Um, but also, that being said, as a youth-led organization, we were able to kind of see that there was an opportunity because of the unfortunate pandemic. Um, we saw that many youth were displaced of several opportunities due to the pandemic. So many needed volunteer hours that were required by school's graduation requirements or other requirements uh, were not being able to get fulfilled currently. So what we did is we began to offer volunteer credit for those helping us translate climate information. And as youth do today, actually my social media team that I oversee released a TikTok and an Instagram campaign that engaged with over 300,000 people. And we got a lot of signups from that. It was honestly so amazing to see so many youth mobilize behind one cause. And in addition to that, they're getting credit for it. It's just so refreshing to see. And we were able to translate a lot of climate information and engage with thousands of youth. And one thing that I really loved about this specific 
uh, strategy that we kind of had about TikTok and our Instagram campaign was that not only were we receiving some services from youth, right? But we were also able to give them much uh, something that they really need, which is those volunteer uh, hours that are signed off by a credited uh, nonprofit. So I like historically speaking, a lot of um, like a lot of nonprofits in general have. It's very hard because a lot of youth work so hard. And they're not really rewarded for their efforts. And I think that was one of the things that we were like, as youth, we want to reward you. We want to provide you with a credit that you not only need, but you deserve for helping out with such a great cause. That's great because not only, um, I mean, this pandemic could have worked against you, but I think it worked uh, as an opportunity for you because more people were through going through social media all the time and also being uh, more active uh, on our computers and everything. So the attention was bigger, no? Right. Obviously through this strategic uh, social media, TikTok and Instagram campaign. But I think it's, it's amazing how you turn the page into something amazing for the organization. Thank you. And honestly, like, I especially was not expecting anything to come from that TikTok, um, but when it like it just went viral, and I was just like, "Wow!" Like that just really shows you how important social media strategy is, too, right? Because like we aren't living 50 years ago when we didn't have um, access to technology and stuff like that. We're living in the age of technology. We're living in the age where youth mobilized through social media that's how protests are happening especially with the recent black lives matter uh plight for racial justice and stuff like that we're seeing how much power community organizers are gaining through social media and i think it's a tool that not only youth activists should leverage but also people that have been in the space for a while that might not um be currently engaging with social media it's a huge avenue for opportunity it totally is uh, if you use it the right way with the right engagement you can actually build up a great 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 backup and reach out to many many people um also like your platform is so easy to use right because you you don't you don't have to be on the streets you have to be on your computer on any country in the world and you can actually be helping people get access to this information. So you're also like this great example of how you can help and you can create a space and platform for, for people to join without getting out of your house or anything. So congratulations on that again. I'm a big fan of Climate Cardinal. <laughs> Thank you so much. So um, this is uh, a little bit more about uh, Climate Cardinals specifically playing a part in climate change. So the question is, what role does climate change specifically play in educating people about climate change? Sure. So one of the things that basically one of the most significant roles that climate cardinals is playing in educating people about climate change is showing them that climate change is a matter of sound science. There's this notion uh, amongst a lot of climate deniers that climate change science is very faulty to begin with. However, what we were trying to show is that there has been such great strides in the climate space that show that there is validity to this movement. It's not just a bunch of hogwash or it's not just a bunch of people, just like young people that are just 
screaming at the top of their lungs for no reason. There's scientific grounding behind it. We realize that a lot of people don't learn climate science in school, so we're trying to translate basic information prior to translating extremely complex aspects of climate science. And that kind of went um, back to what I was saying about my hope for climate cardinals in the future, where we can start delving into more complex aspects of climate science. At the current moment, what we're trying to do is we're trying to uh, translate basic information so we can help people build to the level where they can understand more complex research articles and stuff like that. So, for instance, we translated we translated sustainability glossaries for Condé Nast, which is the parent company of Vogue, to highlight the importance of sustainability and um, kind of learn relevant terms in an easy-to-digest manner, right? Uh, most organizations that I've collaborated with have been amazing to work with, and I but I especially enjoy working with youth-focused or youth-led organizations because I see a part of myself in that fight for change. Thank you. That's great. Actually, you touched on a very important subject about climate change not being uh, in our schools or uh, in programs. You've grown up listening about climate change, but not necessarily learning from it at school. So how crucial do you think it is that we actually start teaching new generations about climate change information and, and environmental justice? That's a good question. Um, just to provide some insight, I knew about climate change as a word. I knew it was a movement, but I didn't actually start learning about climate science and the real intricacies of climate change till my senior year of high school. Um, I went to a very competitive high school. It's one of the uh, top high schools in the nation. And it was only t at senior year during the second semester of my high school experience that I even began to learn about climate change and all the intricacies involved in it. So I don't think it's a matter of making it a priority for marginalized communities specifically. It's more of a global issue of climate illiteracy that we're facing. Um, in regards to marginalized communities itself, I think it's more about making it a priority to school districts to adopt climate change curriculum rather than these communities themselves. Uh, if we think about it, most people learn from school. If there is an absence of climate science education in our school curriculum, it sends the message that climate science and its associated topics such as climate change aren't important. It's easy to absorb more complex information when you're younger, in my experience, and children are often more willing to learn than older adults. So in addition to this, I think it's important to consider that many of these schools in marginalized communities don't have sufficient funds allocated to them to add climate science curriculum. And this shows that there are many systemic inequities that promote environmental injustice, such as educational accessibility. We know that marginalized communities face um, the greatest burden from climate, uh, related issues. Yet I find it really disheartening that these are the same communities that our institutions are failing to educate about a threat that's directly impacting them. And given the circumstances that many marginalized communities face, I think one of the best things that we can do as youth activists, as people in the environmental space, is to conduct outreach. If people aren't learning climate science through school, we can go in and give them the rundown of uh, the basic climate science, the basic issues that are affecting their communities. So if people aren't learning through the school, we have to figure out another avenue for that till the school can 
pick up the slack, you know? And in addition to this, coming from a minority background, another way that we really ought to promote climate science education is by having opportunities for those that are from marginalized communities within the environmental sphere. I mentioned how I felt very welcome in the climate space. However, that was only because I saw that there were a few opportunities for me to grow within the field, right? However, that's not the reality for most BIPOC activists that are up and coming because the environmental space has been relatively white for years. It has been relatively dominated by a certain demographics that uh, don't have representation for all um, the demographics of the U.S. or the world, right? And the environmental field, given that it's been so, like, quote-unquote white for centuries, uh, we need to provide people of different walks of life to enter the field as well. And coming from a South Asian background, there has been this notion perpetuated by a lot of my aunties and my uncles and stuff like that about the fact that they think that um, there's no future for anyone in the climate space, right? And I think, unfortunately, that is a reality for many minorities. Um, so I think one of the things that we really need to do, considering how existential this threat is to our very being, we need to start providing opportunities and kind of uplifting marginalized communities to show them that there is a space for them in the movement. Absolutely. You you talked about um, how if schools aren't capable right now to include uh, climate change information in their schools because of budget or anything, then the system has to change. And that's why we have to get involved to ask them to change that system. And then also about um, marginalized um Communities, I want. I have a question for you about that. How can we make climate change education a priority to marginalized communities, given all the circumstances they are facing? Like you said, the climate uh, movement hasn't been a hundred percent inclusive. How can we involve them in this in this fight and and make them feel welcome, but also make them feel and understand that it should be a priority for them? Sure. So you're spot on about the fact that climate change is disproportionately impacting these marginalized communities. And it's very disappointing to see that many community members in marginalized communities aren't able to enter the space right now. I think one of the biggest issues that we also need to take uh, in consideration when talking about this is that there is a huge issue of poverty as well. And I talked about this in some of my articles that have been published, but the reality is that people cannot talk about climate change unless they realize that climate change isn't just an issue about climate science. It's an issue that affects their very being today. We see that there are so many environmental health disparities that are, man are climate issues that are manifesting as health issues at the end of the day. And it's these very communities that are at risk that are being affected. And I think it's really important to kind of connect the dots for people because sometimes you don't have enough time to connect the dots on your own. You're trying to put food on the table for your family. You like my dad actually brings this up, right? He's an immigrant to this nation, right? And he's like, like, dude, I'm just trying to make it in the US, right? I can't concern myself with all these issues that likely not only will not bring me any money to help my family out, but it, it, it he thinks it's a waste of time, right? And then But when I enter the climate space, I kind of explain to him that it isn't a waste of time because it's a matter of your health. It's a matter of your 
the money that's in your pocket. It's a matter of racial justice. It's a matter of so many things that I think that we need to change the way that we educate people about climate science. It can't just be about, oh, there's ozone. There's something called as albedo. There, it can't be these just like vocab words that were kind of like um, showing people because that's exactly my experience, right? In my senior year of high school, I learned vocabulary about climate science, right? But vocabulary doesn't encompass human experience, right? People are actively suffering from the climate uh, disaster that we're in right now. And it's important to hear those voices. And there's been so much work being done through the power of storytelling that we need to kind of uplift and sh um, shape how we educate people, especially those from mar uh, marginalized communities, um, to really show them that this is an issue that matters. Um, and even though that they're struggling, they should still consider it an issue and um, act in a, or like and try to make as much of a change as they can. But I also do want to make a, a point. I, I like a lot of people might disagree with me, but I don't think it's the responsibility of marginalized communities that have been systemically Di like disenfranchised throughout history to be the only ones that are standing up for their communities. I don't think that's fair in any regard because as I mentioned earlier, these people, these families are trying to put food on their table. They're trying to give their children a better future. And if we're saying that, oh, these marginalized communities aren't making it a priority, it's simply a lot of the times it's just that they can't make it a priority right now. They have a lot more issues that they're facing that although climate science education is really important, it's understandable why they aren't able to place as much emphasis on it, given that even those from top institutions currently still aren't playing as much of a role as they should be. So for instance, like even like my school that I mentioned, it's the number one in the country uh, for a high school, right? And we just started learning climate science in our last year of high school. That really shows the priority that we're placing as a nation or as a global community on climate science education. So the burden should come to these institutions to lead by example. Absolutely. I can, I can seriously relate um to an example here in Mexico, um, marginalized communities have been the most affected by uh, poverty and environmental issues. And right now we have um, a new president that has these uh, ideas of development that are seriously profit over people and planet. And it's impossible to be an activist and not care as much as the environment as for the people. So I love something you said in one of your interviews, and I'm going to quote you because uh, I want to ask you something afterwards about, about that, but it, it totally connects with this. Uh, I've been reading about um, young activists, and they all touch on this subject, like people and planet over profit. We cannot, it's also a people's matter. It's not just climate changing. It's climate changing affecting people and and our, our, our health in this planet. So, um, you said the story we continue to tell climate deniers is the narrative of how the ice cap caps are melting and how animals are going extinct. The story we should be telling our global society is that the climate movement is quite literally a fight for our lives. How do you engage in conversations with people who deny climate science? And what are some effective ways you found to convince people to listen and care about your message? 
Firstly, thank you for that. Um, that makes me feel really good that people are actually reading my uh, things that I'm publishing and stuff. But um, it's a great, great quote, and I think uh, it actually explains the the problem. For yeah. Um, something that I've learned firsthand is that when you're engaging with people who deny climate science, you cannot sound preachy. Uh, and I think that's something that a lot of people, especially climate activists or people already in this space, struggle with because we really know what the reality is. However, if you approach anything as sounding preachy or as if you are higher than uh, someone else, not only is that a bad look for you, but it's also instant, like they stop listening right away, right? And that's like basic psychology, basically, right? If like no one wants to hear anyone else's lecture, you know, uh, but the best way to approach these tough discussions is a genuine conversation and really focusing on the fact that this isn't an issue of climate science. It's an issue of our people. It's an issue of our health. It's an issue of racial justice. It's an it's an issue of just social justice in general, right? I also personally coming from an environmental health background, um, I lead my own organization focused on environmental health and stuff. I recommend focusing on the health impacts that people in your community are facing and taking a more like I like to call it like a backwards approach, right? Don't start at climate science. You should get there through the impact. So start with the impacts being like uh there's a huge issue like people are suffering from air pollution or they're suffering asthma rates at a uh, disproportionate rate right and say oh there's a lot of causes for these and then hit them with the climate science then right you gotta switch up the strategy in my opinion in order to actually get this to work um so try talking about the impacts of climate change health disparities and a lot more other things and then circle back and I also want to bring up a point that I've kind of found, I guess, the hard way, um, especially in the U.S. when you're talking to climate deniers. Um, unfortunately, there isn't much, I don't want to say that, like, there isn't much rhyme and reason to some of the conversations you have, uh, and some of them aren't really grounded in science um, when people are denying climate uh, change and stuff. So... And I'm sure that this is a sentiment that most young people feel, not only when talking to their own parents, but talking to other people about explaining issues to them um, and things that are relatively new and stuff. I think for those that have tried it all when talking to people who deny climate science, I hear you. Uh, I want to make a point that you can only talk to those who are willing to listen. And I think that's really important. It's easy, especially for activists like myself, to think that it's our responsibility to change everyone in the world's mind. That's not humanly possible, right? And sometimes a lot of activists, like even myself, I'm guilty of this, right? We take so much stress, so much stress when people are like, blatantly ignore science, right? And I think we're all seeing that in the pandemic with when people deny medical research that has grounded our like global society for years for centuries we've put faith into these institutions yet people are not willing to listen to the same institutions right and i think it's literally just a matter of some people don't want to change their mind regardless of how powerful your pitch is and that's okay you have to get to a point where you say you did your best and that's all that matters i love that answer actually 
how you talk about how this you think it's a huge responsibility, but I don't think there's anything more motivating or convincing than setting the example as well and seeing the impact you are actually making in in your actions. And that's what speaks the most to people who keep denying or don't want to be involved in, in this fight. So I think you're a great example of that. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much. <laughs> no, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, with your involvement in multiple environmental projects, uh, like the Community Checkup and American Lung Association, as well as car uh, Climate Cardinals, what has been your experience collaborating with, with other organizations? So I love collaborating with uh, other organizations. And honestly, through Climate Cardinals and through my own organization, um, the Community Checkup, I've really been able to engage with so many, not only youth, but so many people in this space that it's really refreshing. So just to provide some insight, my organization, the Community Checkup, it focuses on addressing environmental health disparities that are plaguing our nation, uh, the U.S. and the international community as a whole. So one of the things that we really focus on is restructuring the climate narrative with the public health lens. And that's kind of going back to what the discussion we had earlier in this episode was, that's how I convinced my parents. And I found that that worked for me. And The reason why I got into the climate space as a whole was actually because of my dad. Uh, my dad suffers pretty bad asthma, and when he used to commute and when he used to um, go into Washington, D.C., where his job was, there was so much pollution from cars, from buses, from even just his wor general workday that when he came back home he had a very tough time recovering from that. And he never placed the blame on climate change. He never placed the blame on air pollution. He just thought that's how it is, right? And it, it's taken a few experiences where I've had to run and get his inhaler, right? Because he's having an asthma attack. I've had to personally witness what these issues do to people's health. And that's really what motivated me to start this organization because I realized that It's not a matter of people not getting what climate change is. It's that people don't understand the impact it has on your health and wellness, right? Because people, like, especially given how much people have mobilized over the, uh, the last few months due to the pandemic, we see that people do care about their health. They do care about actual human lives. So we need to explain this crisis in, an, in a way that really highlights exactly why It's, it matters, you know what I mean? Because otherwise people just think it's about polar bears when it's literally about human lives that are at stake, right? And you asked me about the American Lung Association, and that's exactly why I got involved with them um, as one of their advisors for their climate, um, uh, for their environmental health campaigns. Uh, because I see that it's a huge issue. And again, we have to work together in order to accomplish anything, right? And I've had the distinct privilege through, uh, uh, through the community checkup itself of being able to mentor budding climate activists to understand that they ha might have to shift their narrative depending on who they're talking to. And a lot of them have led their own capstone projects after uh, getting mentorship from me and a few activists I've set them up with, right? And 
the results that we've seen have just been astounding, right? Because things that normally communities wouldn't be receptive to, they're suddenly becoming receptive to it. Because at the end of the day, climate change is not a climate issue. It's a public health emergency. And that's my whole motto, actually. Like, my... um. My entire organization's motto is to raise a new generation of environmental health warriors, right? We need a new type of activist. We need a environmental health warrior. And that's my firm. And that's what I've seen throughout my life, um, through my work. And yeah, it's just, it's just refreshing to see that something that started out as, um, a personal mission to kind of safeguard my dad's health has resonated with so many people across the world it's incredible rohan i i absolutely agree i want to highlight um two things you said about uh impact of climate change uh visualizing it and realizing that it's on people in human lives instead of uh polar bears which is is as well it's it, they, they, they don't fight together but people will get involved in more if they realize how important it is a climate change on the impact of human lives and also collaboration. It's it's the only way humanity is actually going to get to a point we have to be is collaborating with, between different organizations, between different countries. Uh, we've been talking about the pandemic in several uh, questions, so I wanted to ask you if uh, being a student in 2020 has definitely been different, hard and frustrating at some point. With a pandemic, climate change, elections, unemployment, and more issues, what keeps motivating you to fight for climate change education and environmental health justice? Sure. Yeah, 2020 has truly been a ride that no one could have imagined. I'll put it that way. It's been really stressful. Um, however, the thing that really keeps me motivating to fight for environmental health justice is the reality that many uh, of my experiences with environmental health disparities resonate with so many people in the world. Um, I told the story of my father and how that's really what got, got me into the movement. And I'm a hundred percent sure that there's so many stories out there of someone that might not already be in the climate space that, but that's hearing this story and they think to themselves, that's exactly what my loved one is suffering. Right. And then that they can, engage with the movement in a whole new way that they would have never seen before, right? Um, I got into the movement because of my dad's worsening asthma, and I never saw it as a climate issue to begin with, right? I saw it as a health issue, and the ability for my mission to kind of resonate with so many is what really keeps me fighting. And I think we have so we've accomplished so much as uh, Gen Z, as youth activists, but I think that there's so much to continue working towards, right? Where we see that people still uh, suffer environmental injustice. Uh, you brought up a point about in Mexico about how one of your presidents is uh, prioritizing profit over the people, right? And for instance, I'm going to bring up an example that's going on right now, right? We see protesters in India right now. It's the, the size of the United States uh, is basically protesting in uh, opposition to these ordinances that were passed about farming, right? So we think about agricultural policy as well, right? We think about that as a as just a policy decision. 
But at the end of the day, no one's talking about the environmental health crisis that Punjab, India suffers. We're not talking about the high cancer incidents that Punjab suffers and the rest of India suffers, right? That these profit-driven ordinances, right, these exploitive techniques will not only promote environmental injustice, but they're going to harm the heritage of the entire nation. So I think that's something that it's a current day example of what's going on right now about how we need to keep fighting because there's so much work to still be done. Absolutely. And there's also how not many media attention uh, this news from India got and how much attention um, the election or the pandemic has been getting. It just talks about how political this uh, climate crisis is and, and how we, we, we need to to change. Exactly. I think one of the things that I've also noticed is that, yes, the climate movement is something that impacts everyone, right? But for some reason, the media always only covers or focuses on news that's affecting the US, news that's affecting the UK, right? And I think one of the things that I found especially disheartening was that especially, I, I'm just for some insight, I am Punjabi American and Punjab is one of the places that's going to be disproportionately impacted from these farming ordinances, right? And that's kind of why I know a lot about it and stuff like that, right? But one thing that I noticed is there's such selective advocacy, especially within uh, those in the U.S., and it's really disheartening to see, where we see people become, suddenly, like, become activists for, like, I don't want to say clout, but for like the just because they don't want to be shamed by other people for not speaking up. But then at the same time, it really shows their priorities when they're not able to speak up for other injustice. You should be like as a true activist, you should you should be speaking for both instances because they're both issues of social justice. And they're both issues that will considering that the entire population, the equivalent of the entire population of the US is currently protesting in India in Delhi, um, in the capital, and there's almost like there's like cricket uh chirps from the media is just embarrassing, right? It just shows that how I guess like Eurocentric or like like West centric our media really operates. And it's disheartening to see as a minority, especially, especially, especially in the U.S., where like I've had the, a lot of opportunities because of the fact that I live in the U.S., right? But I think that like I don't forget my heritage. I don't forget where I come from. I don't forget my roots, right? And I think that's one of the things that activi- in the activism space we really need to work on about not doing that selective advocacy thing anymore. Absolutely. I think part of our responsibility in involving is also um, looking outside the box and outside what, what we've been told in any country in the world because we are just getting the information they want us to get. Thank you for the India example. It's it's amazing. So um, closing up on this uh, incredible interview, uh, I have two last questions for you. The first one is if today you had to make a time capsule that will be opened in the year 3000, what would you fill it with or write in it? And what message would you write to humanity if there are still humans living on this planet? Sure. So um, the message that I would write to humanity is that the fight fighter in you isn't dead yet. New ages are going to have new challenges. And those interested in social justice now um, they're gonna people, they're gonna be people then that will be interested in social justice alike, uh, that will want to prioritize that. And I want to tell them to keep fighting because the spirit in you is alive 
and you can really make change. Thank you. That's a great answer. I hope you can inspire uh, the future environmental warriors of the 3000. Um, so you're among the many examples we have seen over the past few years that as a citizen, there is no age limit to prove you can make a positive impact against climate change. Seeing how the team of your organization is directed by only young people that want to be part of the fight, what advice would you give to anyone who wants to become a climate activist? Sure. So honestly, my biggest advice to someone wanting to become a climate activist or any activist of that sort, right, is to just start, right? It seems very simple. Um, it's always it, it, like I actually got the same advice from someone that um, is already in the movement, right? When I was trying to get started, right, in my community, And I thought it was a bunch, I thought it was like such bad advice at that time. I was like, what do you mean to start? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it sounds like bad advice until you uh, are on the other side of it. Um, but I think starting is really the hardest part. You can start looking for organizations that are in your area to get involved in, to educate yourself about. I also really implore people to find their story. Why are you an activist? That'll help guide you through the many ups and downs of your activism journey. And it'll keep the fighter in you well and alive, as I mentioned in my previous advice, right? Um, I'm, uh, I think one of the biggest reasons why I haven't, uh, have been able to kind of continue with my journey in activism is because I had a very clear cut story. I had a personal experience that really shaped why I'm interested in this movement, right? And I recommend people find their niche as well. The climate space is very big, huge, right? And for me, I found my niche in environmental health and um, health equity, right? And that's a huge part of the climate space today. It's not getting as much media attention by any means. However, um, I think it's a huge sp space, right? Likewise, some of my best friends, they're interested in veganism, right? In animal rights and stuff like that. And that's an amazing niche to have as well, right? You need to find your story and you need to just take that forward and start. And hey, if anyone ever does need any pointers, I'm going to do a shameless promo, <laughs> but you can follow me on social media. Uh, my handle is at RN Aurora on Instagram. And you can also learn about the community checkup and climate cardinals by following our Instagram pages uh, at the community checkup and at climate cardinals. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Please, if anyone wants to get involved, please follow um, these two accounts, as well as Rohan, who is a great example of a climate activist and a sustainable development goal number 13. Um, I just wanted to say how inspiring it is to have people like you. What keeps motivating me to be in this fight is, is finding people like you and knowing there's there's someone all over the world maybe making a change within their community. There's so many issues all over the world that I'm pretty sure anyone can involve in at least one. And the closer to home, the, the, the better, the greater the impact as well. 100%. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been amazing talking to you. Thank you, Rohan. It has been great, to, uh, great getting to know you and your organizations, which I have no doubt its impact will get bigger and bigger. Congratulations on all the work you're doing to leave this world in a better shape than the way you found it. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Pax Natura. Get in touch with us at podcast at paxnatura.org.
Also, we invite you to follow us on Instagram at Radio Natura Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time.